Friends, it's good to be back in the sanctuary today, to be able to be in this space again. But it's not the same without you. We had hoped that we could have been back together worshiping. You know when we started in March, we said three weeks, and every time we said we won't be meeting in person for the safety of our congregation, we thought it was only temporary. We thought it was just going to be a short time until we were back together in this way. Someone asked me this week, could you have imagined at the start of this year all that we would have been facing? Ah, no. It's been so much, hasn't it? So if you find yourself some days waking up saying, what is going on? We've all had those days. I'm glad to be back in the sanctuary, but you are missed. And I long for the day when we can worship together here in this place again. As we open up the book of Mark together, would you just pause and pray with me? Oh God, right now I'm asking that you would settle us, that you would quiet distractions, that you would allow us to hear from your Holy Spirit what you have planned for us today. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This story that we're looking at today in this life of Jesus is at the center of the book of Mark. It bridges between the two parts of Mark. Now, Mark's primary objective is to show that Jesus is the Messiah and to show that that Messiah must suffer and die. This story is that bridging between these primary objectives of Mark and to show what Jesus was really all about. Now, the disciples were blind to what Jesus was doing. It was hard enough for them to grasp that Jesus was the Messiah, though they were starting to get a hold of that. But to realize that he had to suffer, they, like us, find themselves resisting the message of suffering. Suffering is something to be fixed, not something to be embraced, not a mission that Jesus could actually be about. Suffering, they're blind to this calling of Jesus to suffer. At this midpoint in Mark, Jesus and the disciples actually leave their boat and set off on a journey on land that takes us from this point all the way into Jerusalem. We're at the very midpoint. In Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10 are these two healings of blindness that are unique to the Gospel of Mark. No other Gospel writer includes these two stories. In these stories today, we see that God is patient and God is powerful in the process of our healing. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, and so much is packed into these few verses. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. The people beg Jesus 
to heal this man. Just lay your hands on him, Jesus, and he will be healed. In Mark chapter 10, when the blind man comes, it's the blind man begging Jesus to heal him. Perhaps he didn't even know what was possible until it had happened in someone else's life. Maybe that's what happens to us until we hear stories of what Jesus does in someone else's life. We don't even know what to ask for. Perhaps the blind man doesn't even know what's possible. So the others in his life begged Jesus to touch him. It says Jesus spit and placed his hands on him and then asked this question, do you see anything? I see people walking around like trees. What a curious thing for him to say. He has sight, but it's blurry. There are objects moving, but they have no definition. Then these next words, once more, two very powerful words, once more, Jesus placed his hands on the man. And the man's eyes were opened. Then he saw everything clearly, and Jesus sends him home from that point. Look at this, look at this story, we can't miss it. Our God is patient and powerful with a process of healing that takes multiple steps. God is patient and powerful in the healing process in our own lives. You see, Mark is willing to cast Jesus in an unfavorable light in order for us to get what he was all about. This took Jesus two steps. Was Jesus not powerful enough to heal him the first time? What happened, Jesus? Why did you have to touch him once more? Why couldn't you just get the healing done the first time round? Mark is willing to show this side because apparently there is some blindness that is hard to remove. God inspired Mark with this unique perspective. There's something bigger going on here. You see in the beginning in Mark chapter 1, he uses these words when talking about the calling of Jesus on the disciples. He says, come after me and I will make you become fishers of people. Mark is the only one that uses this word become. I will make you become fishers of people. Mark is being direct here. He says to be a disciple is to be in a process of growth. There is a becoming that only Jesus can work in your life and mine. In the life of the disciple, it isn't a matter of you were and now you are. It's a matter of you progressively, step by step, following Jesus in the process of becoming who you're called to be. The blind man shows us what this means. The man does not see all at once. It takes time takes repeated hands-on actions from Jesus before his sight is fully restored. The blind man represents disciples then and now. It represents us. We don't see everything clearly all at once. Think about it. Ten years ago, did you have the perspective that you have now? Be honest. Fifteen years ago? Last year? Last month? I think growth is exponential during crisis, and this pandemic certainly qualifies. We grow, we change, we become. And God is powerful and patient in our process of becoming. 
So many times God is more patient than we are with ourselves. We know this about the disciples. They follow Jesus when he calls. They go where Jesus leads. They witness his healing and his miracles. They listen intently to his teaching, to this gospel news. And then they join Jesus in his work. They become the people who are casting out demons and placing hands on people and witnessing healing and seeing hearts turn in repentance towards Jesus. It's amazing. These disciples are incredible. And then if you read further, if you read this gospel, you see the disciples were not perfect. They are flawed. They are human. One moment they see who Jesus is clearly, and the next moment it's like they've forgotten all that they saw and all that they heard. Peter confesses in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, you are the Messiah. He declares with all his heart and with full passion. Then Jesus says, I must suffer and die, and Peter pulls him aside to rebuke him. He rebukes Jesus' Christology. He says, no, 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 you got it wrong, man. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, in verse 33. They say, we've left everything to follow you in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, and they had. And then just a few verses later in 35 through 37, James and John say, Jesus, let us sit on your left and your right when you enter into your kingdom. Peter says, even if all forsake you, Lord, I won't, in Mark chapter 14, 29. Shortly afterwards, we see Peter in the flickering campfire light swearing, I don't know this man. Mark chapter 14, 71. Human, flawed, in a process of growth, a process of having their eyes opened, of seeing. As one commentator points out, perhaps Peter's words are not a denial, but perhaps a deeper ironic truth for all of us. He didn't just deny Jesus in that moment, but he said, I don't know this man. And he didn't. He was in this process of growing in his understanding of who Jesus was. We too don't know Jesus in the ways that we long to, in the ways we desire. Jesus looks like a tree walking around, a Messiah whose mission and love are still blurry to us. Jesus, we long to see you, but we don't see you clearly. For all of you who think that you're different than everyone else, for all of you who think that your doubts or your struggles or your inability to see or hear God in your life is just you, listen to these disciples. See their struggles. See how it was clear one moment and blurry the next. You are not alone. Same is true for us. Brothers and sisters in Azure Hills Church, each of us have moments where it's clear and moments where it's blurry. Disciples struggle in this process of growth, but God is patient and God is powerful as he works healing in our lives, as he opens our eyes to see who Jesus is and what he's all about. The struggle is not just you. In Mark, the disciples don't get that everything is clear moment. In this gospel story, in this healing that Jesus works, the blind man comes to this moment where everything is clear. He sees everything clearly, but in Mark, 
The disciples don't come to that moment. In the other Gospels, they do. It's at the resurrection. They get that moment where, oh, Jesus, this is what you meant. But in Mark, he leaves it open. The way the book of Mark ends makes the reader gasp, no, it can't end this way. The disciples fail to take the good news. They find themselves in fear and in silence. They're immobilized. The way Mark tells the story allows us to read along and to want to do something about it. The same is true in how he depicts the disciples. How could they not see, you might find yourself thinking. How could they make the same mistake over and over again? Some have even said in Bible studies, if I were there and witnessing what they witnessed, if I saw what they saw, I wouldn't be where they are. Someone has to do better than this. Mark leaves you with that feeling. And yes, that's Mark's point. You are invited to be a disciple. You are invited to this journey. The truth is, though, once we step out and step into the fray, you find yourself, I find myself where they are too. That there is grace enough for our blindness. That there's a God patient as much as, as he is powerful as we walk this journey of healing and grace. A God who is committed to our process if we would only trust. A God who not only has power, but who walks with us through the process. I remember when my dad was going through this journey of cancer, that there were many people who shared counsel or advice. They shared DVDs for him to watch, even VHS tapes, but that's a little flashback for some of you. Some of you need to ask what that is. But he was given things to read. He was given things to watch. He was told by certain people, this is what you must do and you will be cured. Now, don't get me wrong, we were praying. Every day I was praying for my dad to be healed. He was 54 years old. I wanted him to see life for decades ahead. I wanted him to get to meet his grandkids and to teach them how to play basketball. I wanted to still be able to go on backpacking trips together and to be able to have him come and meet my churches that I would serve in the future. I wanted that healing for him, and I prayed for that healing. But after he passed away, someone said to me, God didn't answer your prayer for healing. What do you do with that? That's a question I think many of us have wrestled with before. When God doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you hoped God would, when God doesn't answer with the healing as you thought it would come. I remember reflecting on this, and as I did, I, I realized that God did heal my dad. It obviously didn't happen in the way that I had hoped and prayed for. My dad would be 67 years old right now, and getting the chance to be able to still do life with us, if that were the case. But God did heal my dad. God healed him by bringing him back into fellowship with himself and with the body of Christ. God healed him by bringing forgiveness in our relationship 
with all that we had gone through, forgiveness to him and to me so that there was healing in our lives and relationship. God did heal him in how he was able to see Jesus in a new way. And from being by his bedside and from witnessing those last weeks of his life as we walked that journey together, God worked a mighty and powerful and patient process of healing in my dad's life. The healing came. It just didn't come in the way that I had expected. It didn't take away his suffering and it didn't take away his death, but he did experience healing. Are we open to the healing in the ways that God desires to bring it, trusting the process of what God is doing and working in my life and in yours? The man was given his sight, hallelujah, but it didn't come all at once. Mark is telling us, have hope. For disciples then and disciples now, this gives us extreme hope because sight comes. Might not come as we expect it. Might not come the first time. Disciples of every era have needed this. Hear the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He says, for now we see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, well, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall f- know fully, even as I am fully known. It's dim to us. It's blurry sometimes. We don't always see clearly. Yet, there is coming a time when we will know even as we are fully known. Trust the process of what God is working in your life and in mine. I will cause you to become fishers of people. I, God says, am working in your life. Jesus himself is covenanting to work in your life to bring about a work that only God can do. Jesus has time for our becoming. Jesus has time for our healing, for our seeing, for our growth. It takes time, takes multiple actions on Jesus' part. Sight is possible but it only comes through the direct action of Jesus. This unnamed blind man and the one named in Mark chapter 10 who are literally blind lead the way for disciples like Peter and disciples like us who are figuratively blind. They help us to be able to understand that sight is possible, that we shouldn't just dismiss it or live with things the way they are, but that we should once more come into the presence of Jesus. These two stories that are unique to Mark's gospel form bookends. Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10, these two healings of blindness with powerful and pertinent stories in between. In between is the transfiguration, a time when not so much Jesus is changed, but the disciples' eyes are opened and they for the first time see Jesus for who he really is. They're receiving their sight. Slowly, once more, with a touch from Jesus, they, they get another picture of who this Jesus is. Think back to Peter again. He had to learn who Jesus was, that he was on his way to Jerusalem, that he was on his way to suffer, that self-denial and bearing one's cross is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, living for others. What a process God was working in his life and his heart. And God was with him in that whole process on that journey. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a church to nurture and sustain a Christian. 
And this process that Jesus is working, he works through all of us, through that Sabbath school teacher that you have, through that friend in the faith, through the one that you serve alongside in the fellowship meal, to the person that you reach out and give Bible studies to. In each of those steps, you're learning, you're growing. God is healing, God is working. You know, we celebrate baptism right here in the, in the baptismal pool, but we also must celebrate every step of growth, every stage, every milestone, because God is working this process in your life and in mine. We have to celebrate each part of the becoming. This message, the reason it takes so much from us to wrestle with it is because it's not a popular message. Think about it. You must suffer. This discipleship is about a cross. It involves self-denial and living for others, not yourself. Not the most popular message, right? That won't sell. No wonder it took Peter so long and takes us so long of wrestling with this message to really understand what it's all about. But it is a life-giving message. Turns out the way of the cross is also a way of joy. Turns out that those who go out with seeds to sow, weeping, will return with rejoicing, carrying sheaves with them. The harvest, that those who sow in tears will reap with joy. That's the promise of the gospel. Turns out the way of the cross is a way of joy. It's hard work. It doesn't come right away. This two-part healing shows us that the healing in our life takes time. It's yielding again and again to the touch of Jesus in our lives. Let Jesus reach you once more. Let yourself sit in stillness and in prayer once more. Forgive someone once more. Commit to showing up and showing love once more. Decide to be generous once more. For the life of discipleship is not just in one act. It's not just in one moment. It's not just in one decision. It's in the once more. Every time, even and perhaps especially during crisis right now, as you might be trusting God, as, as you wait, still furloughed, unemployed, it, it might be trusting God as you don't know what's going to happen with your kids' education next school year. It might be trusting God once more as you place your loved one into the hand of God. It might be trusting God with the anxiety over the recent surge in cases and you're wondering what is going to happen to our country. Once more, wake up and place yourself in the hand of God. A God who is patient and a God who is powerful with the process that God is working in your life. The life of discipleship is about once more letting the hand of God reach out and touch you. No, it's not easy, but yes, it is worth it. No, no, it's not simple, but yes, it is worth it. So I want to ask you today what it is that you want. In Mark chapter 10, that's where Jesus asked this man, he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. These stories of restored sight start with desire. First one on the part of friends begging Jesus to touch this blind man who is unnamed. Then in Mark chapter 10, Bartimaeus who says, Jesus, I beg you, 
What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. Do you want sight? Do you want the next step in your growth process? Do you want to see? Well, turn, come once more to a God who's ready to touch your life again, to open your eyes again, to cause you to see things again. We all have our blind spots. We all have those things that we can't see right now, but God wants to open up our eyes in those ways. I remember taking driver's ed. Now I got to take driver's ed in as I was 14 years old. Yeah, don't tell the kids now, they have to wait so much longer. But you know, you could take it if you were enrolled in driver's ed, you could get your permit earlier in the state of Washington back then anyway. And I remember that lesson on blind spots. Yeah, that was before cameras also, those reverse cams and cars that beep and are smart and tell you when there are things around you. But I remember this older instructor who was teaching me and said, you have blind spots. You don't know that you're there. they are there. So look around, check, make sure that you know what's around your vehicle because there will be things that you didn't know were there that you will see when you look again. Jesus is inviting us to constantly be in this growth as a disciple where we look again, where once more we allow the hand of God to touch us and once more we look again and we see something that perhaps we didn't see before or that we didn't see in that way. I close with Psalm 13. It's actually a lament and the invitation I invite you to is to read this Psalm, to read this Psalm and to be open to that work of God that God is wanting to do in opening you up to this next step of growth. Now hear these words of David. It's also a prayer for sight. Now this might be our prayer right now as we're wondering how all this COVID-19 stuff is going to shake out. How long, O oh Lord? How long? That's the question I've been getting from you a lot too. How long till we meet again? How long, O oh Lord, David says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Maybe there's something you've been processing with God that you just need to cry out in honesty. How long do I have to deal with this blindness, with this wrestling, with this burden, with this pain? But then David says, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes. Give me this sight or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. Now see, this isn't just a lament. This also, David acknowledges the promise of God, the promise of a God who says, once more I will reach out. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I invite you to pray this psalm. I invite you to pray this lament. I invite you to pray once more, God, once more, would you reach out? Would you allow me to see your patience and your power in the process you're working in my life? That's what I invite you to reflect on as, a, as you hear the words of this song.